Good morning, friends. This is Joel Martin with you on this Tuesday morning, and I'm glad you're able to join me for the everlasting word. Now, today we're going to be, we're going to pick up in the book of James in chapter two. Uh, but before we get started, I'd like to um, give a shout out to my dad if he was still with me. Uh, today would be, would have been his 91st birthday. And um, if if you don't know, my dad was uh, the late Merritt Martin, and uh, he was a great, great man, and I am looking so forward to seeing him in heaven one day. Um, the lessons Daddy taught me was uh, just incredible, and um, I cannot wait to, to see him in heaven when I get there. But as we pick up in James chapter 2, <clears throat> If there was a title for today's message, it would be uh, Favoritism is Condemned. Now, you know, we all have our, our favorite people. Um, we connect better with some people than others. But as far as having our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't show any favoritism. And James points this out in uh, chapter 2. For he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of, person, of persons. In other words, showing favoritism toward people. Now, if we think about it, if the Lord showed favoritism toward us, he could have picked it picked and choose who, who he was going to save. You know, for John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So anyone, regardless of race, regard, regardless of origin, regardless of background, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ on the terms of the gospel with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, believing in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. So <clears throat> the Lord doesn't show any partiality or favoritism toward us. So we shouldn't show any favoritism toward anybody else. <clears throat> so and James gives an example here in verse 2. It says, for if they're coming to your assembly, or in our, our terms, a church, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect or show special attention to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Now, I know that this might sound like an extreme uh, example, but we all have the tendency to do that. For we, when someone comes into our church <clears throat> And they're dressed really well. They, they look good. They look like they got everything going on. And we offer them the best seat in the church and say, sit here. And we show them special attention. And then someone, some very poor person or poor family, if you will, comes in. They're not very attractive. And, and we, we want to put them off in a corner somewhere. We all have a tendency to do that. We really do, because this sin nature that's in us 
we get attracted to, th to the things that look good. We want to show attention to those things that look good. But what we have to understand that regardless of how a person presents themselves, regardless of how they look, they have a soul and we are to love them. We are not to, sh we're not to show any kind of partiality to any kind of person of how they're dressed, their race, their origin, their background, or anything like that, because we all have a sin nature. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we're all on the same level before God, because the best any of us can do is as of filthy rags before a holy and a righteous God. <clears throat> so in effect, in the example that James is giving here, if you're showing uh, special attention to the fellow that's dressed really nice and has on his jewelry and all of that, and we we put the fellow that that's not very attractive, we put him off in a corner. In effect, what's being done, <clears throat> they're saying to the fellow that's dressed nicely, now you come back. We want to see you again. You're invited to come back. And, and essentially, the fellow... <clears throat> that's not very dressed very nice, he's in vile raiment, effectively they're saying, now we don't want you to come back. They may not realize they're saying it, but that's what they're really saying. And James asked the question here in verse 4. It says, are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? So James is asking the question, he says, now aren't you showing partiality? And aren't you judging between the two people and you have evil thoughts in your mind? Now, we can only speculate what James is referring to on what the evil thoughts are. But yes, in the example that James gives between the, the man that's dressed very nicely and the man that's vest, that's dressed very poorly, yes, he is calling calling the, the church out here, he is saying, yeah, you are showing partiality. And you got to remember that our Lord does not show partiality. He does not show respect to persons because we're all at the same level at the cross. We all have to come the same way through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we can approach the throne room of God is we must come in spirit and truth, and we must come with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and we must come confessing our sins, and we must come confessing the fact that the Lord God in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There is no other name amongst men whereby ye must be saved. That's how important, that's how um, upright our Lord's name is. And he didn't show any partiality toward us, and he never will show any partiality toward men. As long as we come on the terms of the gospel, ye shall be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. But he says, but James, James asked him the question. He says, aren't you being partial? Aren't you showing partiality? And in verse 5, he says, hearken or listen, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? So he's asking the question, don't you know that God has chosen the poor? In other words, the one that you put over in the corner or the one that you said sit under my footstool, 
Don't you understand that God has chosen those people rich in faith to and and to those that love him and he's he's promised he says <clears throat> which he has promised to them that love him so heirs to the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him don't you understand that so this rich man he may well be trusting in his riches he may be trusting in his money his his influence that he that he has because he has money and he may, <clears throat> and he may not be truly trusting in god but this poor man God has chosen these kind of people to be rich in faith. Don't you understand that? And he says in verse 6, he says, But you have despised or dishonored the poor. And then he asks another question. He says, Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? So why are you showing partiality toward this toward this rich man that's coming to your assembly or coming to your church. When the rich of your community oppress you, they bring you before the judgment seats and outside of the church, they're treating you, they're treating you terribly. But yet when they come into your church, you're, you're showing favoritism toward them. Why, why is that? And then he asks another question in verse seven. It says, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? So James is throwing questions at them, and it's like James is a little bit perplexed of why they're showing favoritism toward the rich because of what they do to believers in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. So he's telling them, he says, If you fulfill this royal law, that you love thy neighbor as you love yourself, you do well. But see, a lot of times we struggle with who our neighbor is. <clears throat> we think, oh, our neighbor is the person who's actually, their house is beside us or across the street or whatever. No, our neighbor is every single person we come into contact to. Every person we come in contact with, that is our neighbor. And, and the royal law is that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And, and James is saying is if you do that, you're doing well. But these uh, <clears throat> these 12 tribes that he's writing to that are scattered abroad, apparently they're not practicing the royal law. And James is calling them out and saying, listen, you got to love your neighbor regardless of their appearance, regardless of their background. You got to love them as you love yourself. And then in verse 9, he says, But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. So if we show favoritism, if we share the gospel with one person, and then we're, we don't want to share the gospel with another person because we don't, there's something about them we don't like. We're showing partiality. We really are. And we're committing sin. Now, in our understanding, we may not consider that to be sin, but we don't get to be judges of what, what is sin and what's not sin. Our God, our Father in heaven is the one. He is the, 
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and my father is the husbandman. In other words, he is the ultimate authority. He is the one that decides what's sin, and we must be in agreement with him and walk and talk with him according to what his law is, according to what his statutes are. And if we show favoritism toward one person over another, we are committing sin. Now, <clears throat> verse 10 here is, I love it, it says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And we've probably all heard it in church referring to the Ten Commandments. If, you know, the preacher or our, our Sunday school teacher may have said, if we broke one, we're guilty of them all. Now, let's look at the flip side of that. It says here that if we, anyone who tries to keep the whole law and offends in one point, in one point, you're guilty of all. So let's think about what our Lord did for us. When he came, Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus lived perfectly according to God's law. He did not offend in any single point anywhere. And he did for you and I what you and I could not do. We couldn't satisfy God's law in our own strength, in our own sinful nature, and in our, in our own fleshly nature. We couldn't satisfy God's law. But Jesus came. He did for us. He fulfilled that law. He satisfied God's law. And that's why he could go to the cross of Calvary as the unblemished Lamb of God to be the sacrifice for you and I for our sins. And he suffered and he defeated death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could be saved. So even though if we offend in one point of God's law, we're guilty of all, Jesus walked on this earth for 33 and a half years and he never offended or or made an error in any single point of God's law. That's how he fulfilled the law for us. But see, we've got to understand that we can't show favoritism toward anybody. Now it's in our it's in our nature to do that. It really is. But we must be prayed up. We must be, as, as James points out in, in chapter one, to pray for wisdom, to know how to approach people and, and just show everyone, regardless of their background, their financial status or whatever, the love of Jesus Christ who went to the cross of Calvary for each and every one of us and suffered and died and bled for our sins. Now, that's the message today, I have run out of time. I hope it's been helpful to you. I will be back with you next Tuesday. This is Joel Martin.